if you could stand, will you take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 3 with me, verse 31 through 35. We're going to finish off the last part of this section before we start into some of the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything is leading up to this type of teaching, though. What a great passage as we wind out and try to figure out, as Jesus teaches us, who his forever family is. He's going to clearly delineate who belongs to the family of the Lord Jesus Christ and who doesn't. And he will show us that in this text. Let's read together verse 31, Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through the end of the chapter. Then, or your Bible might say, and his mother and his brothers arrived. And standing outside, they sent word to him and called to him. A crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brother are outside looking for you. Answer them, answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Father, thank you for allowing us to join together corporately to worship you and learn from your word. What a blessing to hear the voices of many singing truths, Lord, that we hold so dearly. Lord, we pray that our worship was from our hearts. You received it as uh, an exaltation to you, Lord, uh, to exalt you in all that we believe, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word, that we can study it now, word by word, verse by verse. Know that you are speaking to us through your word. You have the words of life. So, Lord, we praise you for these things. Father, we know many are uh, sick this week. We know school has started, and many little ones and even teachers uh, are not well. And so we pray for them. Uh, Many are at home, some probably watching now. Lord, we pray that you would heal up those who are suffering from coughs and colds and flus, Lord. Father, we also pray for those who are going through treatment and going through difficulties, Lord. The sin has ravaged our bodies, Lord. They are limited in their time here on earth, and we feel that, Lord. And so we pray that you would be kind and gracious to those who are suffering, and they would cling to you as well. Father, we love our missionaries scattered around the world. We thank you that we were able to have Patty here recently. We pray as she returns Uh, to Ireland, and you would direct her paths, Lord, as she looks for that ministry that can use a godly woman to teach children and to disciple women. We pray that you would direct her paths there as well. Father, thanks for gathering us today. We give you praise for all the things that are to be said, sung, and done here today. You deserve that. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus and his forever family is the title of the sermon today as we finish out this little section of Mark here But as I got studying this week and was digging back through this passage, um, it just struck me, and this may seem funny to you, but it struck me that Jesus is talking. Jesus is talking in this passage. And we do not highlight the red words over the black words in your Bible, if you have a red letter Bible. We don't say that that those words are any more inspired, any greater than any conjunction or pronoun that's written in the Bible. All the words in our Bible are inspired by God. We hold in our hands the very word of God. But yet I want you to think for just a moment. Jesus is talking to us. 
That's astounding. There's people writing books out there that Jesus talks to them in the clouds and in their dreams and all those type of things. I'm thinking, he talks to me. And I don't know what he actually says. And I don't know that you could ever qualify those things because we don't know if that's something you ate or, or your theology or what's behind that. But we do know when Jesus speaks and is here in the word. Isn't that precious to us? Jesus is talking to you and I as we study this today. And it brings us back to this sufficiency of the word of God. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus has taken uh, Peter, James, and John up to the mountain. There his veil, his, in a sense, this human deity has dropped just a bit and they see who he is and they want to build these booths, these tabernacles to, to him and the Father and the Abraham and, and Elijah that were there and, and they want to just worship him. And then that voice, God's voice, breaks through at that point. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you know the last three words he says? Listen to him. Wow, what a statement. And I thought that's what we do, isn't it? As we study the book of Mark, we're listening to Jesus. You're not just listening to Scott who put together a sermon and those things. We're listening to Jesus. We're listening to the very, very word of God. And it's powerful to think that Christ is still talking in present tense to you and I today of the deep value of salvation and life and who's in the family of God and who isn't. And he himself will tell us that today. Isn't that astounding? I, I, you know, it's, I know this maybe not <laughs> uh, new to everybody in here, but sometimes you just sit back in your study and you think, He's talking to us. I don't need anything else. I have the word of God. Think about that a little further. Um, Peter said in his last letter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy is ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's what we hold in our hands. And that's why we preach the way we preach here. That's why your BFG leaders handle the word of God and, and your disciples handle the word of God in a verse-by-verse -verse manner here. Because we believe God wrote this. Let me take you to one text just to remind you. I've been struck by this this week. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. The first two verses in this last section of Paul's life. We know that he is martyred shortly after he pins this. It could be anywhere from weeks to just a few months before uh, he was killed in the maritime prison, which was the prison underneath the Roman palace where he was kept. But look at this text, because uh, it brings in and ties in Christ to the authority of the word of God here. He says, Paul says to this young protege of his, this this young man that was raised 15 years probably in his ministry, and he is handing the mantle over to him in a sense. He says, Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. He links those two together in equality. Who is to judge the living and the dead, referring to Jesus Christ, he is the one, now think about this, he is the one who will separate the sheep and the goats. He is the one who will grant eternal life to and eternal death to. 
If you handle the word at all, this verse should bring a fear and trembling to you. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ who judges the living and the dead, who separates those who will live eternity with him and those who will die eternity, and by his appearing and his kingdom, marking out that he's coming again to show up to take those who have believed in him and to judge those who don't, and to rule and reign in his kingdom on this earth. And then he says this next statement, which we know well here, preach the word. Do not preach your opinions. Do not try to engage people and get them into, you know, some feel-good mode. Preach the word. I promise you, I promise you, the best thing we can do for you is study God's word intently and teach that only to you. And though we learn from the Bible and we expound on truths that we understand and and grasp and we try to share those in a way, we preach the word. And notice it says in season and out. And it's a reminder that the church from the time this was written till the day here are going to fluctuate in and out of times where the word is popular and when man is popular. Men want to tickle people's ears. And he goes on to to remind us that. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will not endure sound doctrine. Oh, you believe all of that? You believe that God is sovereign in every area and he decides who is his and whose isn't? Some people can't handle that. Some people can't handle Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. But that's the charge. That's what he's telling him to do. Do that because there's a time coming where they will not endure sound doctrine. They'll want their ears tickled. They'll want to hear what makes them feel good. And brothers and sisters, we are in a time where we are surrounded in, in America. And then as I travel overseas, we see the influences overseas of men who have raised up and learned to tickle people's ears, not learned to exegete the text. And so we've hurt the church in some ways. And so he reminds us that there will always be those, in verse 3, that will accumulate, they'll gather, as the I word, themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You know what I love about today's text? It's Jesus speaking. And it's a hard text. (laughs) He's going to separate in this text who belongs to the forever family of Jesus, the forever family of God, and those who don't. It's a hard text. But he's not here. Jesus isn't here to tickle ears. He isn't here to gather the social and the religious elite to himself. He isn't here to build his kingdom on this world at this point. He is here to give us what we need. And that's the word of God. And so he is the prince of preachers. He is the king of teaching. We follow his lead the way he teaches. And God has blessed this church with many men who can handle the word, and many more coming as we watch what God is doing in the training of many of our guys. Well, praise the Lord for that. Let's turn back to our text as we listen to Jesus teach us today. Number one, the Messiah separates the natural from the spiritual. The Messiah is going to separate the natural 
from the spiritual. You'll remember this text. We were in it just a few weeks ago. Um, Pastor Brian taught last week, and, and now we're back in this. And he has come home. He's come back to Capernaum. There the crowds immediately gather. And you remember in verse 20, it was so intense. The gathering was so intense that he couldn't even eat. <laughs> There's just no way. You're so surrounded by people, he can't even get a bite to eat, let alone just deal with daily things that needed to be done. This spurred his family on to hearing this. Their goal was to come and take him into custody. It, the, the text told us that the, the brothers thought he was, had lost his senses, that he'd gone crazy. Why would you do this to yourself? Why would you put yourself in such difficulties? And then, oh, those wonderful religious people who are supposed to be shepherding the nation of Israel come and attack him. And they declare that he's in league with Satan. What, a, what an amazing attack. On the one who created the angels. <laughs> and Jesus defends it beautifully. And he speaks clearly and shows that this is a foolish statement. It's coming from unbelief. Why would Satan divide his own kingdom or divide his own house? And he proved over and over, I have authority over Satan. I have authority over the demons. Just as a man had just, as we saw in the Matthew text, had just had a demon cast out him who was mute and and unable to speak and had a demon. So then he rolls into this last statement here. And he's going to take them through and help them understand who the family of God is. His family seems to be unsympathetic to his ministry at this point. We remember we marked this in John chapter 7, verse 5, that his brothers were unbelieving at this time. They had come down from Nazareth. They were hoping to grab him. And, and, and certainly we know that Mary had heard the angels talk about him. She knew he was unique. She probably believed he was most likely the Messiah, but his brothers were unbelieving. And so there was difficulty in the home. You, you can imagine the, ten, the intensity probably in this home. I think some of us know that, right? Where you have unbelieving family in a home and, and yet there's these truths that you wrestle with and there's, there's an intense situation going on here. Their simple goal was, let's get him rescued. Let's get him out of these pressing crowds. He doesn't know what he's doing, and we'll take him back to Nazareth. But Jesus had a different plan. Jesus was going to make an amazing pronouncement here in this little short section to reveal the true nature of God's forever family. That's what he's going to do in this text. He's going to, in effect, give you a four a foreseen, a picture forward of his separation of those who will be with him and those who won't. And some very, very short statement. Look with me at verse 31. There starts with a conjunction here. Um, your Bible may say then or and. But it, what it's doing is it's picking up the narrative. So the narrative was family heard that Jesus was back. It's so crazy. He's out of his mind. He can't even eat. There's all these people around him. Two, this attack by Satan and a few other things that come along. In fact, look with me at Matthew chapter 12 because I want you to realize that it wasn't just, just these Pharisees and scribes that were attacking him. He goes on and teaches quite a bit, which really is important to understand, help us understand why he makes the comments he makes. Look at Matthew chapter 30, excuse me, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 30. This is the exact same teaching we have in Mark 30 through 32 where he's attacked and there he 
teaches the truth about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, meaning if you reject Jesus Christ, you blaspheme the Spirit because that's his job. And he deals with that. But right after that, he makes some more instruction, and Matthew records this. Notice what he does through 33 through 37. Here he reveals their character. He talks about a good tree and good fruit. He talks about the difference of a bad tree and bad fruit. And he's pointing right to them. In fact, in verse 34, if this didn't make them mad, probably nothing would, you brood of vipers. You means what you're saying is you have poison within your mouth of what you're saying. You're a brood of vipers, you're biting, you're trying to devour, you're trying to destroy. That's what Jesus is talking to them about. You can see why this is getting intense. He says, look, a good man in verse 35 brings out of the good treasure good. He's, he, he speaks good and he lives good because God has changed his life, but, but not the evil man in verse 35. Evil comes out of the treasures of his heart. He's, he's exposing, in a way, what Jesus does so often, brothers and sisters, is he just fillets people like you and I can't do. You and I cannot look into the heart of another man, but he can. And it's like he just fillets them and lays them open and says, look, good tree, bad tree, evil man, good man. <laughs> and he does this. And then he, he, he moves on. He, he goes on and talks about the signs they desire. He says, verse 39, an evil and adulterous generation craves signs. We go, well, give us another sign. Show us who you are. We're only going to believe if we can see. <laughs> and the Bible teaches over and over that that. Faith is, comes from, not from sight, but, but, but belief. You, wanna, you want a sight for everything? You want to, well, show it, prove it to me. That's not how God designs. God actually implants a believing faith, but they don't want that. They want to see signs. And he says, look, this is an evil and adulterous nation that crave those. He goes, but I'll give you a sign. I'll give you a sign. I'll give you a sign of Jonah. And isn't that amazing that he goes to the life of Jonah? And here he uses Jonah's time in the belly of the great fish here to, to teach that he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die. And the Son of Man will be in the earth for these three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And then he turns and he says, Nineveh, repent it. <laughs> but your hearts are hard and you won't repent. See, you see what he's doing? He's separating the families. He's showing the difference in of course, he goes on to talk about Solomon's great wisdom. He was behind that. Even the, uh, Sheba, the queen of the south, would come to him. And he, and he over and over takes and shows that your human effort will end in great control by Satan. If you want to get to me on your human effort, that's the way Satan works. And here are the most religious people on the planet. He is saying, you called me in league with Satan? And yet you yourselves are in league with him. That's the teaching. And then all of a sudden, as you go back to Mark chapter 3, now we drop back into this scene. Mom and brothers are outside. You can see why the, the, the scribes and Pharisees and the religious rulers of the day are not happy with him at all. They pride it themselves in this outward righteousness. And Jesus has filleted them clearly. Now, notice that Mark denotes here in verse 31 that a mother of Jesus' brothers were there, that Joseph isn't there. I just want to, some people ask me about, well, where's Joseph? Well, we, last time we see Joseph is in Luke 2.51, I think, where it says he, Joseph, took the family to Egypt. 
We actually never see, we, we imagine he brought the family back, but we never see Joseph mentioned again. And a lot of people want to know, we don't know exactly, but most theologians reason that he was older than Mary and he had passed away. But what we do know here is that mother, Mary was there, mother was there, and his brothers were standing outside. Notice that in the text. So here's this house crammed full. It's either, he's either in a house right now or he's moved out into open air. One way or another, it's dense. This circles around him. And so they send word to him. Notice in verse 31, they send word to him and call to him. And that's, that's due to the size of it. Can you, can you imagine if there was, you know, we crammed, we've got a lot of people in there, this, we put someone in the middle and you were trying to get to that person and it was just tight. Everybody's around him. Everybody's wanting to hear what he has to say. In fact, the closer you get to him, the more intimate people are there. His disciples, his followers, those who trust him are right there. And mom and brother are on the outside going, hey, can you get word to him? I would imagine they were possibly reluctant to say why they were there. Hey, can you tell Jesus we think he's crazy and we want to talk to him? <laughs> I don't think they said that. They were saying, hey, tell him we're here. Tell him we're out here. Verse 32, here's a crowd sitting around him. Notice this. This crowd's most like his, his, those close people, the disciples them. And they said to him, and, and you, can, you can see the message got passed down through this great circle of people around the Lord Jesus. The message gets passed and behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Now, it's interesting the Bible records this term, behold. It means you need to call attention to this strange request. He's in the middle of teaching. We know he's just healed a mute, demon-possessed man. There's this great opposition against him. And, and now all of a sudden this strange kind of request comes. Hey, behold, hey, can you see your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you? See, the crowd was enamored with Jesus' teaching and his authority, and his family is still really lost in understanding what he was about. So here he's doing this great work of God. He's training his disciples. He's healing people that have gone through tremendous pain and sorrow. He's dealing with a bunch of people who absolutely hate him and want him dead. And mom and brother out there, hey, can you tell Jesus we're here? It's, it's an interesting dynamic of people, right, as you look at it. And he answers them in verse 33. Look at verse 33, and he answers them. And notice, he's not answering his family. Do you see that in the text? He's answering those who are around him. In fact, he poses this rhetorical question, who are my brothers, my mother and my brothers? Who are they? So the, the question comes in from the outside. He turns to the people closest to them and says, in a way, who do you think my mother and brothers are? He knows. He's going to tell them who they are. But he relates this question to them. And so Jesus receives this message, but responds in a very unexpected way. It must have shocked his hearers. Uh, your mom's out there. <laughs> no. Who are they? Who is my family? See, I don't think Jesus' question was intended for disgrace or disrespect to his mom. Uh, and certainly it wasn't done out of ignorance. In fact, we know Jesus loved his mother. John chapter 19, somewhere in the middle there, you remember Jesus is hanging on the cross. It's near his death. He turns to, to the soon-to-be apostle John, and he says, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. 
We know he loves them. That's not what this text is about. There's people who have mocked this about Jesus, which is not true at all. Jesus is making a point to share and let people know how you become part of the forever family of God. And he wants to use this occasion in a very tight, packed-in group of people with those who hate him and those who love him and, and a mixture of things going on to teach a point here. But he loved his family. And we know by the grace of God that his brothers come to know him. In fact, James is beheaded because of his love for his brother, Jesus Christ. Um, uh, Jude writes the book of Jude for us, becomes a pillar in the early church. These men, by the grace of God, by the grace of their brother's death, come to know him. So this is not a statement of disrespect in any way. But Jesus is using this interruption to show another comparison between the religious leaders and, and just mere followers who want healings and food and those to, to those who really believe in him. You see the difference? He, he wants to know who's here for themselves and who's here to know me. I think that's a great question, isn't it, today? Who comes to Jesus for themselves, what they can gain from him, and who comes because they want to know him? Who comes dedicated to the word of God, dedicated to truth, and who comes so I can check a box? He's after that. And he will do that constantly within our lives. Notice that the question was intended to call attention to the spiritual work that Jesus was doing in gathering the Father's forever family. The ties here are, are so much higher than just natural or family. It, you know, it'd be easy to say, well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm the brother of Jesus. Whatever he's doing, I'm doing. He's showing that that's not the way in. Remember, look at John chapter 1 just quickly. Um, uh, John taught this. He was there. He watched this happen. He saw what Jesus was doing. Look at John chapter 1 with me. Can you imagine John, as he wrote this, as a Spirit of God inspired verses 12, uh, excuse me, 11 through 13 here. He was sitting watching Jesus teach this. He speaks of Jesus here. John says, he came to his own and those who were owned did not receive him. Isn't that exactly what's happening there? His own people, the, the Jews, the religious leaders, and even his own family, his own brothers thought he was insane, thought he was out of his mind. But look at verse 12, but as many as received him, those who do believe, to them he gave the right to become children of God, forever family of God, even to those who believe in his name. And then look at verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What a difference. What a difference. What a difference of those who say, look, I'm here because this is my lineage. Look, I'm, I was in church all my life. Look, I did this. Hey, my dad was this. My, my family was this. See, John knew what Jesus was teaching. He understood it as the Spirit of God came upon him. And he said, look, there's not, not who was born, not of blood. <laughs> not of the will. Like, well, you know, I'll will myself to, to God in some way. I have a free volition. No, you don't. Of a fallen volition. It's of God. So John heard this teaching, and you see that come out in John's writing, particularly the book of John, of the whoever. The whoever is not, well, whoever. It's whoever believes. It is a distinct 
directive towards people who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he speaks. What a great text to remind ourselves of. Think about this. Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, oh, you want to talk about being a, uh, having the right stuff? I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm zealous. Law, I'm blameless. Find something that I didn't keep. And what does he go on to say? I count it all but lost compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Isn't that fit right here? See, there's theirs, there's those that are going, look, you don't know who you're talking to. Why are you disrespecting us? I've been to church all my life. (laughs) Jesus says, look, you don't get to me through your works. You don't get to me through who you are, what you've done. You come to me through my work. And that will reflect in how you live your life. And so this is what he's after today. Look at verse 34 with me. Looking about those who were sitting around him. Uh, is it interesting? The, the Greek shows it just a little more strongly. It, it has an affectionate look. Jesus affectionately is the idea. Affectionately looks around at those who are around him. Uh, Mark and Luke both record the looks of Jesus in several places. One is when Jesus looked at Peter after he denied him. But this is another one where we see where Jesus looks intently at people. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 49, the same account says he stretched out his hands towards his disciples. Ooh. Got the religious leaders who have pushed their way into the circle. He's not stretching out his hands towards them. He's looking about, stretching his hands out to those who are around him. Verse 34b, notice at the end he says, Behold my mother and my brothers. He's denoting who his true followers are. Who those who are seeking the will of God. Notice he uses the word, the text uses the word behold again. It's bringing attention to the statement. Behold, here they are. Here's my family. Here's my forever family of God. This family's relationship goes far more than natural ties. Because it is the basis of all spiritual relationship. And I think what Jesus is doing here is he's marking out the difference between flesh and blood and faith that leads to, a repent, to, to repentance and obedience. There's a difference. And brothers and sisters, you and I feel this when we get around uh, family members or friends who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a distinct difference in us. We, we think different. We're trying to be gracious and pretty soon people are mad at us and you go, I, I, I don't, I, you know, you try to deal with those. Have you been there? I mean, nod with me how difficult this is at times. And Jesus is here. His family's just outside the circle. And he goes, these, these are my Mother and my brothers. Notice he describes why they're that. Verse 35, for whoever does the will of God. See, this is a decisive point in recognizing the true forever family of God. This is how you do it. This is how we understand what it is. Doing the will of God sums up the entire the individual's entire life when he says this. As one that is united to the will of God. No, we're not talking perfection, but it is talking about a heart change of God. I desire to do your will. And one of the things about that is even when we stumble, even when we sin as believers, we recognize that sin. We stop blame shifting it. We we deal with it. That's the mark of a believer. We want to be in the will of God. 
We desire those things. And, and, and look, make sure you hear me out on this. There's no perfect people in this room. We're just perfectly saved. And so we struggle at times with that, but there's this inner desire, and this is something you have to ask yourself this morning. Do I have an inner desire, a God-given desire to obey him? Or am I just marching through the ranks? You've got to wrestle with that, young people, old people. Because he's describing the difference between the forever family of God and those who will fall under the judgment of Jesus Christ. And it's all in that circle. There's both groups in that circle right there. He puts his arm out to his true followers, not to the religious elite, not to those who want something from Jesus to better their lives, food, healing, and not that those things are bad, but they weren't coming to Jesus for salvation. And he's denoting these guys. Doing the will of God sums up the life of a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are not professional followers, but they're ones who have active obedience, Jesus says, and the Lord was pointing out that the only true relationship that matters are not physical, but spiritual. I mean, just think for a moment with me. You belong to God's family. Can you just get your mind around that just for a moment? You think of all your loved ones and people that are in your family that you care for. That's great. And I pray and hope that, that there's many believers in your family but if they're not, think about this for a moment, you're the only Christian in your family, and I know there's some in the room with this because you shared your testimony with me. You belong to God. You have the right to sit at his table someday. He will never dismiss you, never reject you. He will never not count you worthy because he made you worthy through Jesus Christ. You belong to him. And for when we use the term, and you've seen me pick up on this term, the forever family, the adoptive people use this, and I love that term. But what greater term could we use that to the family of God? <laughs> you want to talk about a true forever family? Repent of your sins. Put your faith in Jesus Christ alone and join a family that can never be separated. A father who will never divorce. A father that will never abandon a father that will never fail as us earthly fathers do. That's what he's talking about. That's what believing in Jesus brings. And it marks a person who desires to walk with him. And unlike the scribes and Pharisees who resist it and actually blaspheme the Holy Spirit by rejecting Jesus to be the Son of God, these genuine disciples desire to do the will of God. Now catch that word. We desire to do it. And we learn spiritual disciplines to learn to read the word and commit to truth, commit to the text to help our, our sinful hearts at times realign with our heavenly family. Now, Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 40, you've got to look at this. Because you go, well, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? What a great question, right? He says, whoever desires to... To, to do the will of God, these are my family, right? So look at John chapter 6, because John's here, and he's recording this. By the Spirit of God, John chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus has already told them, 
In verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me. This is the will of my Father. This is the will of God Almighty who sent me that all that he has given me, I will lose nothing but raise him up on the last day. That's the will of God. He's not going to lose any of them. He's going to give you a love gift from um, the Father to the Son, right? Verse 39. Have you ever thought of yourself that way? If you're a true believer here, you're a love gift from the Father to the Son. Right, So you're in this forever family. Then he goes on, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone, now look at this word here, this NASB here, who beholds the Son. The, the word is sees. Um, it, it's like a veil has pulled away. Paul uses a very similar term in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, the veil's been pulled away. Whoever has had that veil who beholds the Son, sees Him as He is, and believes in Him will have eternal life. This is the will of the Father. So, so this is when, when you go back to Mark and Jesus says, whoever does the will of God, well, what's the will of God? That you behold Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his personhood, of all of who he is, you behold him. You see him for who he is, not the way the other saw him. Other saw him as a free meal, a healing, or he's in our way for power. Those people never find the forever family of God. But those who see him as their only hope to get to the Father, they're in the will of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? And so the whoever here is not a free will term within the Bible. Whoever's used, it's indicating the relationship that was just not limited to the earthly family, but the word identifies the true spiritual family. Whoever that one is who believes in Jesus Christ alone and rejects their own righteousness, it is that's who the whoever is. It's not like whoever. It's directed right towards the believer there in the forever family. Praise the Lord for those things. All who are Jesus's true forever family are characterized by their obedience to the Father. You say, well, Scott, there's no works to get there. I know, and I want to be very clear. Belief in Jesus causes obedience. Do we understand that? Not obedience causes belief. Belief in Jesus causes obedience. I can prove that to you. Listen to just a couple of verses. I'm running out of time here. Um, Luke chapter 11. Amazing event. Mom's back involved here again, here in some way. Verse 27, 28. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts of which you were nursed. And Jesus said, On the contrary, <laughs> blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Obey it. Wow, what a difference. You can see where a Catholic movement kind of comes out of those verses and Jesus puts that down and says, no, it's not the worship of this woman. It is the worship of the one who can save you that changes your life forever. The way we think, the way we act, the way we do things, that's the, the result. Can you imagine God giving us a salvation that doesn't have any results to it? What would you do with that? Would you feel like you're saved? I think there's a lot of people today. I, I read two emails this week from another church, guy seeking some counsel and some stuff. Emails from men who have living in open, uh, open adultery and said, well, hey, I prayed the prayer. I walked the aisle. I'm in. You can't do anything to me. 
And the response of the pastor was, oh, friend, a lover of Jesus, one who God has saved, hates sin. And we turn from that sin. And we begin to learn to obey him. And not overnight every time, but man, sometimes it takes a little bit of time. And sometimes the Lord disciplines us. He takes us to the woodshed a little bit because he loves us. Because the Bible says he disciplines the ones he loves. But we come around. The true believer wants to obey the Lord. And so Jesus makes statements like, whoever loves me will keep my commandments. You understand that? Love, obey. Not obey, then I'll love. Love me, obedience follows. That's what he does. And that's one of the things that gives you security. Wow, I really do love the Lord. Think about this. You may even say this this morning. I really do hate my sin. I I hate when I sin against my God. I want to deal with that. I want to take care of those things because I do love the Lord Jesus. I am grateful he hung on the cross for me, forever grateful. And so I want to deal with things in my life that are contrary to him. Wow, that's a mark of a believer. That's a mark of a believer. And God is good. And so in the end of our text, look what Jesus does. He says, after saying, does the will of God, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister. And so Jesus makes it clear, these are the members of my forever family. This is the members of the forever family of God. And notice that he never uses the word father in the text. Isn't that interesting? Because I think no one can replace the heavenly father. So whether you had a good father who loved the Lord Jesus or you didn't, or maybe you were robbed of having a father altogether, the Bible is telling you, you have a perfect one. (laughs) And we're his family. No one can take that from us. In the end here, I want to show you just some traits. Number two, the families, the family traits of the Messiah forever. I just started thinking about new. <laughs> when you get saved, you enter in a whole new eternity. It's amazing. Sometimes we've been, some of us have been in the faith a long time, right? We received the Lord Jesus Christ by his grace a long time ago. But I just want to read, so some of you, this might be, you might know this, but I hope it causes you to worship. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to tell you what we have entered into, and we want to plead that you would bend the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me just go down through a list of, at least I found at least 11 new things that we're a part of. All right, here we go. You're part of a new family. Mark, you can write some verses down here and look them up later, because we won't have time to look at all these. Um, Mark chapter 3, verse 34. 35, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You're part of a new family. Write that down, Mark 3, 35. You want to know that verse. That's a great verse to have. I'm part of a forever family. I'm part of, I am in relation. This is why Paul says we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Romans 8, right? Always look at that verse and go, okay, Lord, (laughs) try to get my mind around that there's a joint heir. Everything that you have, we get. Whew, tough one to get this, this earthly mind around at times. But you said it, not me. <laughs> Man, am I involved with a great family. The family of God. The forever family of God. Second, you're involved with a new birth. You might be like Nicodemus in John chapter 3 who really said, well, how does one enter the womb of his mother again? He doesn't get it, right? 
He thinks, well, look, I'm good. I go to church. I give, you know, um, I obey the Sabbath. I don't, you know, grind grain with my hands on the Sabbath. I don't heal people. I mean, you know, all the things that he, he saw his group attack Jesus probably said, I don't do those. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, John chapter 3, verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we get a new birth. Wouldn't you like to have the do-over button? really is. And let me tell you why. Not, not as any excuse here. Jesus Christ's death wipes out all of our sins. Now, please, if you've listened to the sermon, do not use this as an excuse to live in a godless way because you may not be saved if you do that. So, oh, well, I prayed the prayer, I walked the aisle. I can live wherever. That's what these men writing these emails were about. I fear for their eternal destination. But look at that and say, God, I want to walk with you. I, I have this new birth. You've given me a restart, and I know you've forgiven my past, present, and future sins, Lord, but thank you for this new birth, and may I, may I have joy walking with you, and may I have short accounts when I fall. May I repent quickly over sin, because I have a new birth. <laughs> By your grace, you push the reset button on my life. Amen? Because, boy, if we get what we deserve, whew, we're all in trouble. Three, we get a new life. We get a new life. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Write that down. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism and death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. We got a new life. I, I've... I've counseled with people for years, and I've had men particularly say this, I just get a better life. You ain't going to get a better life than being a Christian. It's difficult. We're going to talk about some of the new hardships that come in here in a moment. But there's nothing greater than a new life. We have that with the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll move quickly here. A new heart. Listen to what Ezekiel says, and we'll tie it to Hebrews chapter 8. Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, I will give you, speaking of the nation of Israel, of the new covenant, the work that Christ is going to fulfill someday, so this is why it applies to us, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove, listen to this, the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So what he's talking about here, and Hebrews 8 really jumps on this and explodes this to the church, and you can read Hebrews 8 on this, but but what he's talking about is God comes in and takes his heart of stone out of us. It's, you, know, you ever try to cuddle up with a stone? You, know, you hear some of these cowboys, yeah, I sleep with a stone. You, know, you lie. You would do something other than sleep with a stone, right? It's cold. It's hard. It can't love you. All it can do is be thrown at you. <laughs> right? it's, it's nothing there, right? It's, it's lifeless. A stone is lifeless. God says, I'll take your heart of stone out and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Now, that's not talking about sin there, meaning it can feel, it can love, it can obey, it can live, it can breathe, it can pump blood for me. That's the idea. That's what he did. When you got saved, he put a new heart in you. <laughs> he took out the old one that was cold and callous and couldn't love and he gave you a new heart. That's what you get at, at salvation. A new heart, keep moving them, time's running on me, new creation. You know this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, talking positionally, now he set us, the Father set us in his Son, gave us as a love gift to him. 
He is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new, thi- new things have come. Wow, you're a new creation. Did you wake up this morning and think, I feel like a new creation? You know, as we get older, we feel the aches and pains, but spiritually, right? I am God's new creation no matter how I feel. We have to fight that, don't we? This is why so much of the secret church pushes towards feelings rather than the facts of scriptures. Because people are more drawn to feelings. The truth is, no matter how you feel physically, you are a new creature. No matter how you feel even spiritually at times when you're struggling, you're a new creature if your life is in Jesus Christ. Next one, new name. We studied this not too long ago when I went through the seven churches of Revelations. Revelations 2.17, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Right? Here's the role of the Spirit again. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him, that's Jesus Christ, the hidden manna, he's the bread of life, and I will give him a white stone, that's the, the promise of, of eternity. And then it says, and I will give him a new name on that stone. You have a new name. You ever, someone said, would you, what would you change your name to? Hmm, I don't know. I always like Fred. It's one of my favorite names. That's what he's talking about. Because he has completely changed you, you find your name, your personage of who you are in Christ. You're no longer identified in yourself. God doesn't look at me solely as just Scott. He sees Scott in Christ. He always looks at me that way. So I'm identified. Who I am, my personage is in Christ. So I have a new name. And you do too, believer. Um, new foes is the next one. He's going up behind me. Oh, yeah, they're there. New, new foes. Listen to this. Luke 21, 17, Jesus speaking here. And you will be hated by all, mm, that's circled in my Bible, because of my name. I didn't want to go with all the positive news. I want you to understand there are a few ones that are a little more difficult. You have new foes. You have people who resent you for your love for Jesus. If you stand for him, if you believe in him, if you're committed to him, there will be those who will oppose you. Jesus says that. We have new struggles. Next, Galatians 5.17, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Galatians 5.17. So there's a wrestling now. Look, when you're not saved, there's no wrestling. You may have some moral restraint that your parents brought you up with, and some church things in your background, and that kind of bothers you when you do something wrong, but you can get rid of it fairly easy. When you become a believer, you start wrestling. It becomes difficult at times. Because you got to go, God's right and I'm wrong. If this is true, if this text is right, I need to repent. See, there's wrestling now. My flesh loves sin. It loves to desire to do things. It's still, even as a believer, we can love things that are not of God. And so we have a new struggle going on now. But that's a good struggle, brothers. I know it's hard, and sisters. I know it's difficult at times. But isn't it encouraging to know that you now struggle with evil before when you liked it? 
Now I have a struggle with it. So that tells me there's a spirit of God in me. He's convicted me of that. Great, I get to repent. Because I belong to the Lord now. New struggles. New hope. There's so many verses that could fall in there. I'm just picking out some. New hope, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But according to his promise, we are looking forward to new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Kingdom of God. Mm. That's going to be cool. No more sin on this earth. We're going to be with our Lord. He's going to be reigning and ruling. He will take care of sin. He will judge it. Excuse me. There will be certainly in a kingdom oriented. There will be sin. But here he's talking about that beyond that. Here we will reign and rule with Jesus forever. there's, There's a whole new hope coming. Righteousness dwells again. We cannot say that righteousness dwells on our earth right now. It's here because of Jesus Christ, his spirit, his word, and his children, his forever family is here. But it is not ruling. Someday the Lord Jesus Christ will come and rule. We have new desires, two more I think here. Um, New desires, Galatians 5.24. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified each other. We would not have those desires without God, without this new forever family. You're my family. You've heard me say this, look, we're going to spend eternity with each other. We better start liking each other now. You know, let's have supper together because there's a great supper coming. We have new desires. What do you desire now? Do you have new desires out of God? What does God desire you to do? Do you want to help in children's ministry, missions, outreach? What kind of desires is God welling up in you? Want to share the gospel with someone? You have new desires. Those are from the Father. They're from the Heavenly Father, from our forever family. That's the thing the family does now. We have new desires. Last one, new service. Romans chapter 7, verse 6. But now we have been released from the law. Hmm, Praise the Lord. I love this verse. Now we have been released from the law. You know, if you weren't released from the law, you're going to be judged by the law. Do you want to stand up against that? Start reading Leviticus. Start working your way through the ceremonial and the moral law of God. Go church your way through that. See how you do. It wasn't meant for you to keep it. It was meant to show you need a Savior. Now we have been released from the law. Now listen to this. This is Romans 7, 6. Having died to that which by, which, uh, by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of letter. See, I tell you all the time, we don't have to serve. We don't have to love the Lord. We get to. <laughs> We're not bound by some law. Well, you know why you're going to church? Well, we got to. <laughs> we got to go. Our existence in eternity is dependent upon it. I mean, what a terrible, terrible weight on mankind to try to keep a law in order to gain righteousness that God may accept you into his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, if you're in the forever family of God, he's released you from that. Now you're grace-motivated. Not law-motivated living, grace-motivated living. We live for Jesus because we get to. Because he's rescued us. So let me close with three questions. Are you a member of God's forever family? You, gotta, you have to think about that. I don't want you to leave this room until you can say, I believe by the grace of God, I am a member of God's forever family. 
And, and don't lie to yourself. <laughs> Please don't deceive yourself. If you're not, come talk to one of us. Say, I don't know, Pastor. I, I don't know. Grab the person sitting next to you. You don't have to come here. We don't make people walk aisles and scenes and all that. But find somebody and say, I'm not sure if I'm in the forever family of God. Don't let a day go by. You're missing out on the family and all that comes with that. Two, family members, if there's sin that needs to repent of it, will you deal with it? If you have sin in your heart, sin of, of disobedience to God, will you repent of it? See, we're family, and your sin affects the family. My sin affects the family. When you and I don't keep short accounts and repent of our sin, it affects our family. It affects relationships at the table sometimes, right? So if you're in the family of God and you have sin that you haven't repented of, would you, would you right now say, Lord, convict me of that sin. I, I know what your word says. Help me turn from that. It's not part of what you want in the family. I don't want it anymore. I turn from it. And then finally, if you're in the family of God or you may realize today that you're not, would you meet with us? Would you come and talk to us? Our whole goal of preaching this is not just to spend an, you know, an hour and a half here, hang out for a while and go watch football. This is eternal stuff we're talking about. This is, this is eternal destiny of where your soul resides forever. Pray. Pray. Ask the Lord. He's not hiding His will from you. He will show you. Father in heaven, we praise you for Jesus' teaching while he was on the earth. It lines up with all of the word of God. It's never in contrary. It's, it's never uh, contrasted by the word. It is lined with your word from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22. And thank you, Lord, here in this 21st century that Jesus is still talking to us through the Bible. Very clearly and directly. So, Lord, help us. Help us to be a forever family that loves the Lord and follows Him. That we have short accounts. We realize our sin and we deal with them quickly, Lord. You've done so much for us, Lord. May your love motivate us to live lives of believers. Father, I pray for anyone in this room who right now is wrestling with that question. Are they in the forever family of God? Lord, today is the day of salvation for them. We beg you to open their heart. Lord, let them not leave this room. May they grab someone sitting next to them. May they come up front. May they talk to somebody, Lord. We know you can do that. We pray that you would rescue them today, Lord. Father, thank you for letting us worship you through the word. Thank you for our singing and all that you've done in our hearts today, Lord. May this propel us in tomorrow to live for you in our daily life and bring us back together soon until you return. In Jesus' name. Amen.